Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sam Legasic. And I'm Dreadful Dan Gallagher. And we're two old buddies that have lived our life at the edge of the mainstream. So come join us where things are a little... odd. This is the... of yours will be reduced to a burned-out cinder. Hi gang, it's me, Dreadful Dan G, here on the Oddcast, as always, with Sammy LG. Hello! How are you doing, Sam? I'm good. I'm here to chew bubblegum and nothing else. Because I love bubblegum. <laughs> that, of course, an iconic line from the film that we are discussing today, John Carpenter's They Live, the 1988 cult sci-fi comedy classic. What do these things want, and why are they here? You still don't get it, do you, boy? They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you, all around you. Blinded us to the truth! Take a look. They are safe, as long as they are not discovered. I don't know what they are, or where they came from, but we gotta stop them. Stay away from me. Put these on. They have us. Look at them, they're everywhere! We have no other choice. I don't like this one bit. Leave it alone, man. It ain't none of my business, ain't none of yours. We have been lulled into a trance. Listen to what I'm saying to you. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. Control us! You're sending some kind of signals on the TV sets. I've got one that can see. Mama don't like tattletales. Now we start spilling some blood. Let's go! Push the I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick And I'm all out of bubblegum. 
So they live, um, one of those films that I think has actually grown in stature over the years as some of its uh, themes and images have started to pop up in kind of like fringe and cult culture. But does it deserve to actually be reviewed? Does it deserve for people to go back and watch it? Well, we've done it for you, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, what were your uh, just initial impressions of They Live? Yeah, so I, the first time I saw They Live was rather late. I, I remember like a lot of people with the pop culture references and, you know, Duke Nukem and all this. Um, oh, yeah. Kind of amalgamation of Ash from Evil Dead and, uh, you know, Roddy from this and whatever. Um, and I remember the sunglasses thing. I remember seeing things about the sunglasses and all this stuff. But I would say it wasn't until I was maybe in my mid-20s that I actually saw it. Um, and I was amazed <laughs> for many reasons. Like One, I was like, at first, and I think we'll kind of come on to this, I thought it was, I was like, oh my God, I was watching this, like, this is so fucking boring. Like, what is going on? And then it just ramps up into this like chaotic spiral or whatever towards the end, which I thought was great. It's just, it's a weird concept. Everything about it was just strange, but also like this very on the nose social commentary, um, which I quite liked, especially because I'd like to say, so it's at that time or maybe not, not too long after, like my life kind of went into that like advertising world where like, you know, you, you think about the subliminal and all this stuff yeah. and like what kind of effect, why certain colors resonate, so, you know, and all this stuff where it's like just you're playing into people's subconsciousness. And um yeah, so watching it again recently, so I've probably seen it about two or three times since then, um, and watching it again uh, the other day for this, um, I still like it and I still I rate it. I don't think it's his best, but I think just the sheer boldness um, to do something like this, and it is a really weird, strange thing, and you're right, it is kind of like, it has a lot of comedy elements in it, even though it's not actually a comedy it has a lot of like horror elements in it, even though it's not really a horror. Mm. I mean, if anything, it's a sci-fi, but um, uh, yeah, but generally speaking, I did really enjoy this film. I would say that it kind of des it's rightfully deserves its kind of label as a cult classic. Um, but I wouldn't say it's like an amazing film. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I agree with you there. I think there's loads to enjoy here, but I think it's a little bit uh, flawed, especially once you've seen it second or third time. I think the mm -hmm. first time, like you, I was just bowled over by some of like, the imagery. Roddy Piper as well, he's really good in it. Mm -hmm. Good, strong character, lots of good like one-liners and things. So it feels mm -hmm. like kind of you know, a kick-ass kind of film. Um, but yeah, what elevates it, I think, like you said, is that kind of like satirical element. Because um, otherwise you've got a fairly basic sort of sci-fi concept. Um, mm -hmm. But I suppose John Carpenter's the guy to kind of take that and just sort of like uh, lift it up a bit. Um, yeah, for sure. I think my main sort of um, criticism, I suppose, of the film, like you said, it suddenly runs away with all this stuff. It's really exciting. But I think, yeah, the pacing is quite off. Like the first mm. 45 minutes, it's very, very slow. Very slow indeed. With like Roddy Piper's turned up as this drifter in town. Mm-hmm. Um, he can't get work. You're kind of seeing some of the characters. It's quite fun how he's kind of like, there's a bit of a mystery because he sees that people are bringing these boxes in and out of the church. 
Yeah. Um, but all of that, it takes so long to get going. And then later on, there's stuff that isn't really explored that I think could have been mm. quite exciting. Like the concept of the resistance. It's like introduced and literally one minute later, <laughs> they're all dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, uh, okay. It's, uh, that's a shame. Yeah. Um, and then after that, yeah, loads more of these uh, quite high concept sci-fi um, things being brought in we think oh, that would have been cool to just just hang on that a little bit and uh, yeah yeah and then suddenly it's kind of like it's all over and you're like yeah 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 it's, it's weird how like so from i mean from pretty much i mean the whole film yes but from where he finds the glasses to the end like it is immediate like there's not you're kind of seeing it moment by moment and i remember um when I look back on it before I watched it again, for me, it was over the course of like, I don't know, a couple of days or so, whatever. Yeah. But what I didn't realize is that it's all like back to back, like all this stuff is happening one thing after the other, like really quickly. Um, and it's quite insane. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I definitely feel the same way, but in a, in a way I kind of, I don't know if it, I don't know if I'd say it's a bad thing. I quite liked that element of it. Um, because I, especially watching it again, as you said, I knew it was coming. Yeah. So basically, as soon as he puts the shades on, that's when shit starts happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's when it starts start getting a bit, off. a bit better, in my opinion. Yeah. That's when the good yeah. stuff comes. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't mention this actually, but I read the short story that's based on. Oh, um, well done. Yeah, by uh, it's a guy called Ray Nelson, um, and it was published in Fantasy and Science Fiction magazine or whatever in 1963 um and it's called eight o'clock in the morning and i'm gonna be honest you could read it in three minutes it is oh, really? super short yeah it's like seven pages or something where did you read it um, you didn't fish you out an old it. copy of uh <laughs> no 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 you can find it online it's not um you know you don't have to buy it or anything um i mean yeah literally it is that short but what i love about it the guy's called george nada so nada you don't find out to the end is uh, Roddy's character's name which means nothing in Spanish so it's like as if he's come from nothing but in the short story it starts like it is everything is immediate so it starts off and he's been woken up by a hypnotist and now he can see the reality of everything so what I like is throughout the short story I'm not sure if he's just gone mad <laughs> like mm. he's just gone insane if the hypnotist has fucked his head up or whatever basically so now he's on this like killing spree um, or if he is actually seeing the truth. So it's kind of this question, whereas with the film, it's pretty obvious that it's like, oh, it's aliens. But in the in the um, short story, I think they kind of play with it a bit more because it's like he starts seeing aliens everywhere and then he's like, oh, shit, and he's seeing like the advertisements and all this stuff, which you see obviously in the film. He's not seeing it through shades or anything. There's no like device. He's just able to tell. Okay. Um, and then he starts seeing like people start turning into aliens a bit, but he's trying to stay away from the TVs. He's like the TVs, like, uh, you know, going to turn him back to like how he was or whatever and then he gets a phone call when he gets home and it says this is like the head doctor or whatever your heart is going to stop at eight o'clock in the morning um say say that to me whatever and he's like my heart's going to stop at eight o'clock in the morning so he's trying to like blend in so he's thinking oh fuck they found me out and then um he goes to his girlfriends and he basically um kills like he starts killing people but like no he's just like yeah, so I shot him in the neck um, and I, then I stabbed this guy and then I went here and then I killed this person. And 
he starts going crazy. And the same thing, he goes to like the TV station and he gets on this like massive killing spree. And then it ends with, um, it ends the next morning where his heart stops at eight o'clock. Huh. So the idea, so it's quite cool because it's like the idea is that, was it real? Wasn't it real? But he did die of his heart stopping at eight o'clock. So, but it kind of puts it into like a deadline. Hence why it's called eight o'clock in the morning. Cause he's suddenly like, shit, I've only got a few hours to like stop this alien thing that no one else knows about. Um, but it is super quick. Like it is snappy. It's the most snappiest thing you're going to read. Um, and yeah, this is what this is based on. But um, yeah, John Carpenter actually wrote it under the pseudonym of Frank Armitage, which is, well, for one thing, Keith David's character is called Frank Armitage, um, apparently. Um, it's also a little nod mm-hmm. to H.P. Lovecraft, the Dunwich Horror story. Um, but yeah, John Carpenter didn't want to take full credit because he'd written it with um, Roddy a little bit and also with his um, wife, or was it his future wife or whatever. So yeah, he was he was kind of just this pseudonym, um, uh, and yeah, so he actually yeah wrote and directed it. Um, I was I read that like with Roddy, he told Roddy to have like a make a backstory for his character, but just don't tell anyone. Ha, that's nice. Um, yeah, so uh, which he did, um, and yeah, I guess like for Carpenter, he just come off the back of Prince of Darkness, which we've reviewed before, mm. um, and. That was in response to the fact that Big Trouble in Little China was a massive flop, um, even though people love it now. Didn't do very well. Prince of Darkness did all right. Um, and that kind of and that was a more lower budget. And this kind of keeps in his small budget wheelhouse. Um, again, this was made for quite a small budget. Um, and this uh, did all right. I think it got to number one in the US box office for one week um, and then dropped thereafter. But... Um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know the actual um, box office or anything like that, but I believe it did all right. So, um, yeah. Uh, got him back on the map, firing on all cylinders. Yeah, got him back on the map. And yeah, because he loves wrestling as well. So he went to WrestleMania 3, I think we've talked about this before, um, and met um, Vince McMahon and Roddy. And I think Vince McMahon was trying to get Roddy to do, he was trying to start doing his own, get, he was starting to get into film or whatever. Um, and he wanted Roddy to do some stuff. And Roddy was like, I'm going to do this thing with John Carpenter. And I, I think Vince McMahon was not happy, um, not happy with that, if I remember rightly. That sounds about right. Because, yeah, Roddy Piper retired at WrestleMania 3. That was meant to be his last ever match uh, against uh, Adrian Adonis. Um, so this, I mean, this was a great start for him, right? Yeah. But sadly, yeah, sure. as we know... It sort of petered out. I think um, he's got a film called Hell Comes to Frogtown that's often used as a bit of a punchline whenever anyone talks about his acting career. Oh, really? Um, I haven't seen that. By 1991, he was back in the WWF and basically by the end of the year, back into pretty much like full-time wrestler again. I think he carried Mm. on trying to do bits of TV and film, but it never really flourished in the same way. But, well, like wrestlers now, their careers. I mean, even Hulk Hogan, when you look at it relatively, it was his his uh, Hollywood career was a bit of a flop. Now yeah, you look well, at guys like of... Cena, John Cena, The Rock, and Batista. All these guys, it's like they've made it. Yeah, I think what's interesting as well about Roddy's uh, um, is that with so with Hulk Hogan, basically Hulk Hogan was just playing Hulk Hogan um, in all the films that he was doing. There wasn't anything particularly amazing i think roddy does a better job in the fact that he's trying to be an actual like 
uh, he's trying to be an everyman in a weird way, even though he's a, you know, um, ripped bodybuilder yeah. looking guy. But then, you know, The Rock is a bit different because The Rock started off getting parts that were for The Rock, but he's got that character and intelligence or whatever that he can actually do those roles. That's a different story. John Cena, I'm still not sold on, to be honest. Even He's in the new Fast and Furious, actually, which I should check out. Um, and then I think, yeah, Dave Bautista as well. I think he's more, like, he, he was pretty good in Blade Runner. That was, even though he was only in it for a couple of minutes. Everyone loves him in Guardians, but that's kind of his thing. Um, but, yeah, like, Roddy, I felt like, in this film, was directed really well by John Carpenter. And I can, I bet, and I can tell that John Carpenter spent a lot of time with him trying to, like, you know, get get it right and worked with him a lot, it sounds like, very closely. Yeah. I think also Keith Keith David. Um, he plays Frank. His acting as well. He plays Frank, yeah, the, the mate. Helped him with his acting as well. Um, and, you know, they kind of hung out a lot, I believe, like, yeah, during the shoot. Um, so yeah, but I think it's like, I really enjoy his performance in it. What's really weird is that, you know, that number one line, which is like, um, you know, uh, I've come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass. Um, and I'm all out of bubble gum, which was apparently from Roddy had like a basic notebook of these lines that he would use for wrestling. Yeah. And John Carpenter was like, I want to use that one. It's great. Um, I think his delivery of that is the worst thing of the film. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. Because when I always think about it, it's always like, and you think about like Jute Newcomb says it, whatever the screen, it's like, and I'm all out of gum or something like that. But he's like, if you, I, I might play it here, but um, if you listen to it, it's like, um, I came here to chew bubble gum and kick ass and I'm all out of gum. Yeah. It's, like <laughs> it's really, really like, It's really weird. Yeah. The way uh, he kind of, the way it drops off like that at the end. Let's have a quick listen. I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubble. Yeah, it's just not, it doesn't feel as iconic no. as, it, as it should be, which is really weird. Um, I just think because it does kind of, and at that point in the movie, and I we're kind of jumping around a bit, but at that point in the movie, I remember the first time I watched it and still want to watch it, they kind of hint that it's like putting the shades on does something and it kind of makes you go a bit weird or whatever. But I remember thinking like, where the hell has this come from? Why is he even saying that? Like, what's he doing? Like, because it, it's just a complete like pers- weird personality change and it turns into something a little bit surreal and I always remember that really jarred with me and then like it's kind of mm. heightened with that line where I'm like what <laughs> that's when he becomes the action hero um because yeah. like you said uh he does a really good job I think of portraying that every man type character um which isn't really actually you know when you think about the character he portrayed in his wrestling career it was always very heightened over the top manic Mm. Um, almost traditionally, he was always like a you know he was a heel. It was only when he came back really from retirement or just before retirement he, he uh, became a good guy, a face, mm. and then came back later as a face. But but basically, he was always like not very relatable, really, because yeah. he was just so like out there all the time and like like on something. You know, it's like classic eighties coked up kind of um, guy, and like his interviews. Mm. Very um, verbose, but like he's always held in esteem as one of the best promo guys. But um, here it's you know really tempered down. But you can see where some of those one-liners then are natural to him. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I thought he did a good job. And like you said, everyone around him obviously coaching him, but getting that more uh, mainstream, bit more like controlled performance out of him. 
Mm. Um, and he does then have an opportunity just to ratchet it up a bit as the film goes on and the action yeah. kind of uh, mushrooms. Um, so I thought he was really good in this. And, mm. you know, yeah. he, he hit the right note, kind of in the way that you want, you know, like a Bruce Campbell or, you know, some of these characters who just have a sort of uh, sort of presence, a, ca- a charisma on screen in that kind of role, where, like, obviously they become quotable and iconic the longer the time goes on. So, um, yeah, good old Roddy Piper. But sadly, you'd have thought this would have led to then uh, lots of interesting good roles for him. But No. Just, I mean, I think it was well suited to this role. I mean, it was kind of written for him, obviously. And then same with Keith David, actually, that was written for him as well. Um, but, yeah, maybe you know, coming in as an actor, it's like, here's your character, here's your script, say some lines. Um, maybe, you know, it didn't really work that way for him, like the same relationship he would have had with John Carpenter, I don't know. Um, but, yeah. Um, Before we go any further, I think um, it might be good just to quickly sum up for anyone who hasn't seen the film, mm. just exactly what happens here. Some of the yeah, plot if you've points. you've got this far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, then we'll come back to talk maybe about some of the other cast members and main characters. But yeah, as Sam's alluded to, um, Roddy Piper rocks up on the fringes of the city. I'm not sure which mm-hmm. city it is. Is it just uh, a generic city? No, it's LA. Ah, uh, there we go. And there's like, there's these cool shots. Thing? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, it might oh. be. There's these cool shots where like he's walking along and um, he's got a. Uh, you, you, it's a bit of a shit shanty town. Well, there is literally a shanty town, but it's all like you can see him like across the train tracks. He's come out of like nowhere, and then there's these like the tall LA like kind of financial big buildings that kind of dominate the landscape. So already immediately you've kind of got this, um, you know, the idea of like the rich and the poor and the kind of way they're looking down on him. Um, immediately is this downtrodden kind of like just trying to make it, you know just trying to live the American dream. I believe in the American dream and working hard and, you know, I just want to get an honest buck and work my way up the system, um, which he finds out is a complete falsehood. It's a bit like a like modern American fairy tale kind of thing, isn't it, really? Or the, or the, or the breakdown of it, yeah. Yeah. Or the opposite thereof, yeah. Um, so after arriving, he, you know, he's struggling to get work. He gets work as a labourer mm. and that's where he meets uh, Frank, Mm-hmm. who basically kind of says, you know, if you need somewhere to stay, I can sort you out and takes him to that shanty town. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where he starts to see some strange goings on mm. in the uh, church across the road. Yeah. What's okay. going on in that church, Sam? Yeah, well, you, fi- you find out a bit later, but he's he's kind of keeping a watchful eye. There's like a helicopter in the air, I think, at this point, or maybe a bit later. Um, and then, yeah, they're, they're all kind of sitting around and watching TV and this signal comes in going, they're aliens. Ooh, and it's giving everyone a headache. And I was like, oh, my head. They're, like, they're, 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 they're trying to, they've got all the power and money and they rule everything. You've got to watch out. The earth's getting hotter. Like there's an environmental thing as well. The earth's getting hotter and that's their fault. And then it goes away. Um, but yeah, there's like people coming in and out of this church. And yeah, Roddy's just like keeping an eye on it. I remember the first time I was just like, going on like are they bad guys but you find out that that's basically where they are um uh, that yeah it's not actually a church they're playing 
choir music on a speaker. Yeah. And that's where that's where the resistance, where they're getting those transmissions, that's where they're coming from, is uh, like underneath the church. Um, yeah. And that's where they're producing the sunglasses. Mm. Um, so a bit later on, the whole shanty town is raided in quite a shocking scene, actually. Mm. It's quite it's quite good that. It's quite violent and upsetting, really. You see some proper good old 1980s brutalization. Yeah. Does that happen after he puts the sunglasses on, though? We skip that bit. Is that... I can't remember. I thought at that point was kind of roughly when he gets a box from the church and runs off with it, isn't it? Was that slightly yeah. before? Yeah, I think it was... He get, And that's what I always find weird as well, is that he goes in and he's like, oh, um... Like it looks like they've got like a meth lab or something in there. Um, and it's like just a box of sunglasses, but there's all these like chemical pots or whatever. And I remember thinking, what, how, what's the A to Z process on this? Like, <laughs> how is it they're like forming <laughs> these chemicals and then it suddenly turn into sunglasses? Are they buying loads of sunglasses and treating the lenses or something? I'm, that's the only thing I could kind of come to, but it doesn't look like it's like a factory or anything. It's just a very tiny tiny background yeah. <laughs> um where's this happening i thought it was um that that's when he gets the glasses and then that's when he kind of uh it gets uh raided is that right it gets raided and then he runs off and then he, he with the box yeah he hides the box and then that's when he puts the sunglasses on and then that's when it starts happening and that's because when they, after they start looking for him they go back and the shanty town's destroyed because they've been trying to look for him that's when he well that's when he, i think he realizes that there might have been something in the box that's worth having right because okay. he stashes oh, it right. yeah. stashes it in a back alley and so yeah. then it's kind of like you know that's that is all happening at night um pretty cool scenes yeah, right. and right. then it's like now it's daytime and he thinks to go and actually see what's in this box and he finds the glasses and i think mm. he takes one pair am i right Um, and yeah, he puts them on and this is when like, uh, act two begins, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. And this is the cool thing about the film. And this is kind of like the imagery then that sort of, uh, persisted. He looks out and everything's in black and white Mm. and he looks down the street and every billboard sign it goes from like advertising. I can't remember specifically what what like holidays. Yeah, I think and just, one's like an IT like computer thing, um, and then yeah, it switches to obey and um, consume, marry and con- yeah, consume and was it marry and um, rep- not replicate, yeah. <laughs> consummate. I don't know whether it is have kids or whatever, and all this stuff. Um, and he can hear like what is it like sleep. Lee, yeah. <laughs> whatever, and apparently that's John Carpenter's voice slowed down. But that's where, um, that's where the title comes from. Is that um, there's some big graffiti on the wall, right? Where um, I think it's when he goes into the church. Actually, it says, "They live, we sleep." Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like they're the ones that, are, you know, awake, like kind of Matrix style, and we're like being told to like sleep. We're not fully woke, basically. Sleepwalking through life. As you're just bombarded by these messages. So it's really cool. Just cuts through and those are the the basic tenets of what they're telling you, us, society Mm. to do. Yeah. Um, Obviously, that's what people have latched on to. Obey. 
It's mm. become a big like clothing brand, hasn't it? Yeah, it's uh, what's his name? That um, Shepherd Fairy, I think his name is. Um, I don't want to say it's like a skating thing. Um, yeah, there'll be people like shouting at us now, going like, "What? What do you mean? It's just like <laughs> you know, it's this huge thing." But it's like that's that's. But yeah, it became a whole thing basically afterwards, and it's obviously that has infiltrated um, pop culture. Um, oh, yeah, it's a really cool imagery, and also like we should mention that he starts seeing like the aliens and. Throughout the film, that the look of the aliens is really fucking cool. I yeah, love it. it's like it's like a corpse, basically, like a slightly decomposed corpse. But you don't really see until the end that it's like this kind of weird bluish purple. But it's because it's all in black and white, and they're just like they look fucking freaky and horrible. Um, they don't look like a realistic corpse, though, do they? It's kind of stylized, no. and it's a little bit okay. It's a little bit kind of like nineteen sixties schlocky throwback. Um, like really those bright saturated colours but it's a really cool funny funky kind of look Mm, and there's one bit there's a bit later when um, uh, which we'll get to where there's a guy making an announcement who's an alien and there's a cool shot and they've made it like the way they play with light here as well I I really love it it's like really dark and you can only really see like the eyes as he's up on this podium it's really fucking sinister and horrible and I remember that really sticks out um, in my head but yeah those shots because they only happen every now and then but um it looks great they look great like they every time you see a new alien face it still kind of like <laughs> shocks you and they pop up from this point onwards in the film um in every yeah, walk of it. life because they yeah. are politicians mm-hmm. uh shopkeepers they're police mm-hmm. they are everywhere controlling yeah. us yeah exactly um from this point basically he goes a bit batshit yeah <laughs> he just goes nuts yeah he's here to kick ass um how do he gets hold of a gun is it from the police yeah so it's yeah it gets police so he's he's like kind of walking around and he, he's acting like he's a bit drunk but he's now just like got this weird he's like cracking jokes he's turning into like yeah schwarzenegger kind of like weird action hero thing which is com- is completely off character for who we've met at the moment he's very like you know humble whatever and now he's just saying like like you an ugly motherfucker kind of thing <laughs> it's not, yeah. that, not actually that but that kind of thing <laughs> and um they're all like oh he can see he can see us and so you're like oh fuck cool um and then that's when the police come over and there's two aliens oh just yeah point, point blank murders them yeah. doesn't think twice there's a great um, bit where they're radioing it in though like someone's seen him in the shop they're like We've got one. We've got one. It's really cool. It makes me makes me think of again, like sixties, well, fifties, like invaders. Um, the invasion of the body snatch. Invasion of the body. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So little, there's little riffs like that. They're really, mm. uh, really fun. Yeah, it's great, and that's how he gets um, he gets uh, the shotgun from the police car. That, that's great as well. You're like, is, how's he going to deal with this? Like, he's got this, you know, decision to make. Is he going to is he going to believe in what he's seeing and cross that line and? Basically, he doesn't spend even that amount of time thinking about it. He's no, just like, bam, bam. Away. Yeah, <laughs> shoots him. That's it. Doesn't, doesn't even think about it. Uh, um, and then, yeah, that's when he goes to hide in the bank. And then that's when he, you know, cracks that line. And then he just starts fucking shooting the shit out of all the alien people <laughs> that are in there. Um, and yeah, because I remember the first time I saw this, I was like, oh, shit, is it going to be that he's just gone a bit mad or whatever? But no, this is played absolutely seriously. There's no, like... You know, oh, are they aliens? Aren't they? Nope, they're aliens. <laughs> like, <laughs> unless the whole thing is like some fever dream or he's dead or something like that, then yeah, it's played that these. There's no 
sense that it might be like an inner turmoil or like, am I going crazy? No, he's hundred percent in it. <laughs> he's committed. His eyes are open. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, it's around this yeah. time then he's escaping, I think from the police. And this is where he yeah. meets the character Holly, who mm. basically holds her up and yeah. <laughs> sort of takes her hostage to mm. get him out of there in her car. Mm. And she drives him to her really nice, really like apartment, modern apartment up in the hills. Yeah. Um, where he kind of has a chance to just like rest briefly and explain what's going on and what he's seeing. Mm. Um, and it's a nice little moment here where you're kind of like, how's this going to pan out? What's the relationship here going to be? Mm. Um, what did you think at this point? about this character of Holly, uh, played by Meg Foster? Firstly, she is stunning. And I know you think, oh, she looks like weird or whatever. <laughs> Just that, those, like, that sharp face and those eyes. And I remember from, like, Master of the Universe as well. It just, like, at, to this day, when I was watching the other day, I was like, I am absolutely mesmerised. I think she's got crazy, like, pretty face and just absolutely... So, like, as I'm watching it... I just couldn't get over like how, and I think as well, because she plays, I mean, it's kind of her thing anyway, but like she plays it so ice cold, completely mm. icy that you don't, so you start wondering, and this is, this is what I thought was interesting. Cause it's like, you know, normally in these kind of films, you might have them, you know, you, you might have them as a bit like scared. She doesn't appear scared at any point. She seems quite, she seems like, um, I don't know, like composed, composed. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's no warmth in that you might have off a leading lady or something like that, but you get a hint that she's like kind of, they're kind of in, like Roddy, I think fancies her. Um, and you kind of get, there's might be some interest here. You think, Oh, she might be like the love interest. Cause you've seen this like a hundred times before. Yeah. And what's great is they, they completely play with that. And I always remember, yeah. I always think of escape from New York. Funny enough. There's a bit, if you remember where snake, um, uh, he's running away from the like the mob of like weird deformed people, and he comes across this woman, and she's she saves him or whatever, and then she's like, "Hey, like maybe we should do whatever." And he's like, "Yeah, okay, let's let's go, whatever." And then she gets immediately killed by the <laughs> mob, and he runs away, and she's never seen from again. But for that brief <laughs> second, you're like thinking, oh, "Okay, new character, maybe a love interest." The carpenter's like, "That's what you're thinking." Yeah. No, that's not what we're doing. And he does this kind of thing here where he's setting up. He's setting this up um, quite nicely, but he's also like, you kind of want to break, you as the audience kind of want to break that cold demeanor a little bit. And you're kind of thinking, mm. oh, you, you, I don't know. It's, it's a really weird thing of like, you're like, oh, is he, is she going to like, um, like, you know, is this her? Fall for being, him. Yeah, exactly. Is Fall for his rough like, charm. Yeah, exactly. Especially when he's and, sitting there and he's starting to feel relaxed and he's yeah. kind of saying, you know, really sorry I had to do that, but you know, I've got all this on my plate now. Alien mm. conspiracy. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And yeah, it's just all exactly. so ambiguous. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, played like that. Um, Until. On purpose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then even then, when when um, when that happens, you're still thinking, well, okay, like I still, it's still justified because he's still kind of hold a hostage or whatever. But yeah. Yeah. He um, throws him out the window. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like the window to her apartment and it's a great moment. Dead. 
Yeah. Because you, you, you've been lulled into that full sense of security as well. It's just like, doesn't she clonk him on the head with something and then chuck him through yeah, the window? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, sounds right. And then get straight onto the police. Yeah, that's it. Brilliant. Um, uh, I, I yeah. find her appearance just so strange mm. that I find it difficult to put any any faith in her. I just, she looks like such a villain to me. And She's that's got, part of it though, isn't it? That's, well, yeah. That's what I love about it. It's her eyes. They're incredible. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, yeah. And that's why it's such a great casting. I think like, I can't think of anyone like now who's acting now, like who has like, off the top of my head anyway, who can, who would be able to do something like that. Um, I mean, there probably might be, but it's like, you know, um, I don't know. It's great. But yeah, sorry. So he's out the window. Um, he kind of hides, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, then what happens? He spends the night there, doesn't he? Just kind of hiding. Just right. hiding out for a while. Yeah. yeah. What's the next bit that kind of happens? Basically, he's trying to get um, his mate Frank then on board. Yeah. Trying to get him on side. Yeah. Because he's this wanted is... now as well. Because he's just, the news have got him away over that he's been on this fucking killing spree. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Killed two cops. Everyone's, yeah. And he's trying to like, go to Frank and Frank is like, get the fuck out of here. I don't want to do anything with you. Just killed a bunch of people. Um, so this is then yeah. what leads to basically, um, so Roddy Piper has to convince Frank that what he's saying is the truth. So all he needs to do is put these bloody sunglasses on and see for himself. Yeah. Um, which leads to one of the most drawn out scenes in cinema history <laughs> did you mm. like this scene sam i don't how long does it last for guess do we know i want to say it's between six to eight minutes it felt at least 15 <laughs> i think you're right <laughs> but it just feels like it's never ever ever ending did you not like it no fucking hell i thought you'd love that right <laughs> basically they brawl in an alleyway endlessly hey, this pure, like this is pure roddy like this is where roddy shines because i really like when you see them pummel the shit out of each other i thought it was really well shot really well directed it felt like really real you know but i think part of that is because roddy spent so long like selling these kind of punches and yeah really going into it like i'm really feeling like those thumps and all this stuff um well, apparently and, they worked on it for for yeah, like three weeks or something, didn't they? Yeah, they they did it like as an extracurricular thing. Apparently, it was just meant to be like a straightforward scene. Um, but basically, when they like showed John Carpenter how they, you know, it's basically what Roddy Piper probably would have done in WWF in like choreographing mm. a big, like a big like a WrestleMania match. Yeah, put all that work into this. Yeah, basically treated it like a match. Mm. Where it's got a bit of, you know, it's got flow, drama, yeah, resolution. Yeah. And they went, well, we want to do this. So, yeah, he used the whole whole damn thing. Yeah. Um, oh, man, I loved it so much. I, I, I like it as well because, like, Keith David, like, he's a big guy anyway. I think he'd done some, like, boxing as a kid or something like that, but he wasn't, like, a fighter. Um, and, yeah, like, Roddy kind of, yeah, kind of took the reins. They did have a choreographer who'd done a few other um like some born identity or whatever and all this stuff um but yeah i really love this fight i love the fact that it does feel like it kind of ends at points and then starts back up again 
and that's what I quite enjoyed about it because it's almost like a comedy side to it where yeah. they're like you think it's over and then like one person will just start it up yeah. again it gets a bit slapstick yeah but I really liked it I thought you'd love that but oh, clearly not no, and this is kind of I suppose what I said like there's there's a pacing issue I think but there's yeah. also like bits like this where the flow of things just get disrupted yeah. And yeah, I just I just found this quite testing, to be honest. Okay. I was yeah. keen, keen to just let's get back to the matter in hand, which is just we we know he's gonna end up putting the glasses on, right? Yeah. <laughs> so let's yeah. just let's just get <laughs> to get it. <laughs> yeah, it did feel like there's a point where he's about to step on them and it's the last pair. And you're like, no, and all this. <laughs> um yeah, I really liked it, but yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, yeah, as you said, he he does put on the glasses. Mm. And then he's and on side. The, yeah, I think the first thing he sees is an alien looking straight at him, going like, "They've, I see them or something yeah. like that." And then he's like, "Ooh, shit, <laughs> let's get out of here." Um, yeah. Then what happens? So then, well, I think the next major bit is then that they go to that resistance meeting. Yeah, that's right. They go to a hotel, don't they? And they're like, "Let's rest up here." And then, like, we got to find the people who did these uh, glasses or whatever and help them out and do something about it. Yeah, that's when they go to resistance meeting. And this is where you're like, as you were saying, you're like, okay, cool, here we go. There's like a whole group of them and they've got their shit together and they're like talking about strategy and they're like, we've got to blend in. We've got to find the right time to strike and all this. We can't just go in there. Guns are blazing. It's ridiculous. Um, and all this. And I remember thinking like you were saying earlier, I was like, okay, here we go. There's like, you've got a few characters. You've met like, there's the blind priest, I think is there. There's... Yeah. Um, uh, there's this other uh, black guy who you've seen kind of around that was driving the car at the church. Where you got the um, the leader um, who was running the shanty town as well. You're like, you know, there's some other people you'd noticed in the shanty town, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you're like, okay, cool. This is like we're all kind of getting a little bit Star Wars or something. Now. Yeah, like, this is the resistance. The resistance. Yeah. And most yeah. importantly, Holly. Yes. Well, that's it. Turns around, Holly's there. And, I, and so what did you think? So, yeah, it's interesting because this whole bit and what's about to happen with Holly, I feel weird about knowing the end, if that makes sense. Um, so, like, I watched it and was like, okay, cool. Oh, right. So she believes him. That's I think that's what you're supposed to think. If she believes mm. him or she at least likes him. And she's been able to, like, find out because she's like the, and this is actually quite an important detail. She's the assistant program manager or something for this station and that's why she's like yeah it all comes from my office or whatever we can get in i don't know whatever she says then rowdy rowdy's like okay he goes over and he chats her up and you're thinking okay cool there's a little bit she seems to be like a little bit enamored by him maybe or whatever yeah um, but then soon explosion bam the the alien the police come in <laughs> yeah. most of them aliens and they kill everyone <laughs> Yeah, you're like, oh, they're going to arrest some of them. No, dead. Yeah, yeah, shooting them dead. And you're thinking, because, yeah, exactly. You're thinking, okay, we're going to get a plan together and all this, or we're going to do something, all right, we're going to hit the thing. But, yeah, it's just like, oh, my God, everyone's just dying. Um, And I think it's a shame because this, yeah, it felt like the story was about to become more, even more, like, expansive and Mm -hmm. kind of complex. Um, But, yeah, they just snuffed that out. And maybe that's the right thing to do because it makes the storytelling more simple. You know, this is now about, you know, Roddy Piper's uh, reconnected with Holly and they've, mm. they've got a little plan, which mm. is to go to the um, TV studios. Yeah. 
And that source. seems to be where they're going to, yeah, sort this problem out. Yeah, source of the signal or whatever. So then off they go. And mm. this is where there's some really cool stuff here, like in the TV studio. Yeah. When... Well, before they get, whoa, 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 whoa. Before <laughs> they get to the TV studio. So they, they have like a shootout and then they, because they get this like watch. They're like, what does this watch do? I don't know, something. And then oh, yeah. the watch goes off and it opens like a hole, which is weird because it's very different from how everyone's been disappearing, which is they just disappear. You don't see a hole, but all of a sudden there's like a hole. Um, meanwhile, whilst that's happening, Holly is like trying to like run away and she's seeing like the streets of people come forward. And she's like, everyone's getting shot around. And she's like, oh, oh, and just runs off, which I thought was weird for what comes later, but she likes it. They get in the hole. And all of a sudden, they're like, this is somewhere else. Now, the first so this time is the hole. This, just this is the yeah. hole that all of these aliens can use their watch to generate a little a little hole. Yeah, that allows one, them to basically. Hole. What's that game that everyone's playing? Portal. I don't know. It's not. It allows, it allows you to vent. It allows you to vent. I mean, what, what game are you talking about? <laughs> that game with uh, where you uh, get kicked Thanks. out into space. 
because they've zipped over there really quickly. The shanty town, in theory, only got destroyed the night before. Yeah. And within that time, he this the bum has got seduced by the aliens, basically, had it been done up, and now he's rich or whatever. And I'm just like, that's happened within 10 hours. <laughs> I don't know, or something. Yeah. It's really... Like this so, is where, like things like that really like start to grate on me a little bit because I was like, don't really get it. And also like we see like spoilers, but we see Holly later. Yeah. And I'm like, and she's in like a different outfit. And I'm like, but this she was running away just like a couple of hours ago. And now she's what she's just gone back to work in a different outfit. Like it all it's when it yeah. starts to feel a little bit. It's this passage of time, especially with that character, the, the bum kind of character, drifter, whatever he's mm. called. Yeah, you're right. It's all it's all too rushed to feel meaningful for you to be able to really kind of buy into it. Yeah, because it should feel um, really sad. Yeah, it should feel like tragic almost. Um, oh, you know, it's played sort of comedically, but yeah, you're yeah. just like, oh, here we go. Also, exactly. I mean, isn't he clean shaven? So even that would take me like a few hours. <laughs> he's got a beard. He's still got a beard. Oh. <laughs> so it's like um, he's got a beard in both beards. He's actually the same guy, I don't know his name, but he's the same guy that played a um, homeless guy in Back to the Future. And, uh, Typecast. And this. Yeah, um, <laughs> and he's been in stuff like Escape from New York. He's always, he's in a lot of Carpenter stuff. George Flower. Um, yeah, that sounds right. Um, yeah, so, and then that's when he shows him the TV studio, and then that's when they're like, um, I think, <laughs> like, Roddy's like, oh, can we get in there? And he's like, no, fuck off, or whatever. Uh, like, where's your pass or whatever? And like, Here's our pass. And they bring out the guns. And then that's when they start lighting the place up, as it were. Um, Just before that, though, um, one of the things that he shows them, and this is why you think they're in outer space. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I forgot. It's because yeah. you see like, how they're shipping um, people mm. back to wherever their home planet is. Mm. That's quite a nice little, just a little extra kind of sci-fi element to the whole thing. Yeah, I think that's why I didn't get it because it's like it's like a space dock, but it's looking yeah. out and you see like another planet. But I'm like, so they're in space because obviously if they're still in this tower block, which is what they're supposed to be in, it's like you're not seeing space. You're going to just see the city. Like I didn't. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like visually confusing. Yeah. yeah, and that thing that's what confused me. So I was like, oh, so they're in they're in some spaceship. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it wasn't until, and that's what I still thought until I watched it again the other day. Like, I was like, yeah, they're not in a spaceship at all. But it did really confuse me because it made, I was like, it makes sense with like, um, you know, they're on this weird spaceship and the way it looks and you've know, got the TV thing. And it's like, oh, wait, right, they're just like on Earth in this TV station. Um, but, uh, but yeah. At least we get, uh, you know, we know their motivation, even though it's a, a lazy cliche kind of motivation. Yeah. <laughs> they want to take it over, ship people back. And they're going to use a few uh, corrupt, powerful people to help them do it. It's a little bit like doing yeah. uh, influence Chris Carter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, world X Files. Um, so yeah, they're they're now about to smash through, mm. destroy the TV studio. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. They they start shooting people up and all this stuff. They can't get in. Um, and then they're like, okay, basically, um, let's go find Holly. Uh, she works here, whatever. So they, they're kind of like running around. And if you notice, there's like a guy with like a Ghostbusters EPK meter and <laughs> using it as a radio. And it's I like, didn't pick up on that. It's weird. Yeah, I've seen it a couple of times. Um, 
And you know, it's like that was like the biggest film of like that year or the previous year. Um, so like they could have used something else. But anyway, still. So, um, yeah, they run around. They find Holly um, between, you know, the, and all the alarms are going off and everything. And then they start running to the roof. Um, uh, and I think, I can't remember if they say this, but the idea is that they're going to, you know, try and blow up the satellite dish or whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they outwardly say that. I can't remember. But they're like, oh, we need to stop the signal or whatever. It's pretty heavily impl- applied. I didn't feel confused about what they were trying to do. Yeah. Um, At some point, yes. Frank gets taken out of the picture, doesn't he? Yeah. So there's, um, if you remember, if I remember this rightly, so they're going upstairs and then Roddy runs up to go out onto the roof. Holly um, stops Frank with a gun and holds it to his head. Bloody and it, knew and, it. And I believe it like cuts and then you hear the shot. Um, I knew you couldn't trust up. her. Yeah. So and then you're like, fuck. So then you're like, so you presume that he's just been like shot point blank in the head. And then, yeah, Roddy goes up to the top and there's like helicopters and all this stuff around. Um, and then, uh, yeah, there's like a showdown between her um, and him. And she's like, you know, come join us or whatever it is. Like, you know, just you know, don't do it or whatever. Um, and then he shoots her, if I remember rightly. Um, Holly dies in like, oh, shit, because there's not really much. It's not like, but I'd love you or anything. He's a little, he's a little bit cold about it, which is good. By this point, you're like, yeah, good. Fuck that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it is then, good because it, yeah. it's just like, he's just a hardened kind of like tough, tough nut really. Yeah. Oh, we should say they've stopped wearing the shades by this point. They've got contact lenses as well, which uh, allows them to see the aliens. Um, yeah. For that bit. <laughs> if people are thinking that they're doing all this with like shades on, they're not. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then he just shoots at the satellite and it blows up. Which I always found, like, what? Yeah, it's climatic, really. <laughs> but as well, it's like I don't think if you shot it, it's just going to blow up. Like it's just a <laughs> sheet of metal, the satellite itself. Um, hey, it's the movies. Shit gets blown up. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then that's it. He gets taken out, and that's it. It's that's the end of Roddy. It's the last you see of him. Yeah. And then you've got this really cool, funny montage at the end of where like everyone starts seeing the aliens. Um, in different positions, like sitting on a bar, um, uh, like the TV hosts, um, whatever the news news hosts, and then yeah, the great last bit is this woman like having sex with this guy. She looks down, and it's just this fucking horrible <laughs> alien creature, and he's like, "What's wrong, baby?" or something like that, and then it just ends. Um, and it's great. What a great ending! Uh, it's I do feel like it's really rushed, but at the same way, I felt like it's because like. It's almost as if they ran out of ideas. Like they didn't want to outstay their welcome, or they're suddenly like, "We're at ninety pages. Like, let's wrap it up. Like, what else do we want to show? We've shown everything. They've seen the aliens. Let them destroy the thing and just get on with it." Yeah, um, I quite like but, that. I do see that, and I do like that comedic ending. And uh, but I, I suppose I felt a little bit after investing in, you know, especially uh, Roddy Piper's character, mm. for all those things to suddenly be quickly resolved. Um, I was like, oh, I, f- I feel like I want a little bit more, a bit more Piper, really. Mm. Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I just like the idea that it went from, and I know like you had a problem with it, but it went from like, okay, what's going on here? Okay, cool. To like a bunch of the most random fucking weird <laughs> shit happening one after the other, where first time you're watching it, you're like, I can't guess what's, I literally have no idea what's going to happen next. And it just kind of like, it's like a, snowball going down a hill or something it's like you've got to take ages to push it and then when it starts going 
goes really fucking fast and it's picking up loads of stuff as it's going down. Um, and yeah. I, I did, I honestly, I did really enjoy it. I don't think it's amazing. And yeah, it probably could have been, there probably would have been a better way to do it. Um, but for me, the, I think the fact that it's very like anti-cinema, the way that it kind of does that, um, makes me find it a bit more interesting basically. Yeah. I suppose, you know, it's got its own sort of unique energy. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, I've got some other bits and pieces which you might find interesting. Oh yeah. Hit me up. I love love Um, some trivia. Yeah. So there's um, a lot of people have said that uh, like the reason why those bits are black and white, for instance, um, is because not only is it like a cool, um, not only does it look cool and not only is it kind of like a throwback to like the films of the fifties or whatever and all this, like invasion of body snatchers, the original anyway, um, and all that, but also like Ted Turner, um, was there was a whole thing going on at that time with Ted Turner colorizing black and white movies okay um, on TV and uh, apparently that was like partly to do with it the way he's kind of it's kind of as if it's like reverting it back to normal or whatever I don't know I thought that was quite interesting it's a um, subversion of Turner broadcasting policy yeah exactly nice it's really <laughs> it's a really weird way um I like the idea so basically like Carpenter was very open about the fact that it's He's like, he said recently, like he is like a capitalist, um, even though this feels like it should be anti-capitalism, but he thinks it's, it should be like fair, basically. And the fact that the whole point of the film is that it's like taking advantage of like the poor and the vulnerable or whatever, um, rather than making it like the decent way and the way that like the 1% have all the power and all the money. And like, that's even more so now than, than ever. Um, I, I thought it was also funny because people talk about like the fact that like Democrats are lizard people or whatever and all that. Yeah. And I think of this film, like that's like what they're, is that what they're actually suggesting? Yeah. Um, that's why it feels like the film's got just as much currency now as it did in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of, um, I guess like anti-Semitics and neo-Nazis or whatever have latched onto the film as being like about the Jews like, oh my god have they yeah and that oh, um, shit. i think there's i think it's like a hashtag like they live israel or something like that um that oh, yeah they kind of latched onto um which obviously is, is not uh, what he was intending for um it's more to do with obviously like the yuppies and especially in the 80s where like um you know being rich was everything um reaganomics was king yeah the idea that it's like let the rich spend the money and it will you know work its way down to the middle classes and blah 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 and all this stuff which is what we're still doing here in a way um in britain anyway with the tories um and yeah um so that was kind of a, a, a message um against that um, yeah it was yeah, a cynical I, time and this is like a a sort of satirical criticism of that i suppose but yeah. Anything like that, I suppose it's easy to hijack uh, if you've got your own strong agenda. For sure, yeah. And yeah, as I said like earlier as well, um like advertising was it had already been a thing, but like it was obviously like very prominent and people were um it was it was it was I mean it's been, obviously it was booming throughout like since the well if you watch Mad Men like forever. But um yeah, I think, like, I always think there's a Stanley Kubrick, for instance, um, was very interested in advertising uh, because of how the subliminal, how the brain works on a subliminal level. And he applied that to filmmaking, which I always found super interesting. 
Mm. Um, but yeah, the idea that these glasses basically make you see through like the bullshit um, to like what's actually underneath, I think is, yeah, is quite cool. Um, it's a great, it's a great like, idea visually because it's so easy to understand and interpret, and mm. it's a really, a tr- like it's a really appealing idea. I think, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I also like the idea. It's like your eyes are like your my eyes are open when yeah. really you're putting something over your eyes, <laughs> covering them <laughs> um, to see it. Um, yeah, I guess that's kind of it um, in terms of the film itself. Yeah, I just found it weird, like, talking about Holly for a sec again, like how there's a whole, like, I want to say like a good two minutes or whatever dedicated to watching her try and escape the police um, uh, against the, you know, the resistance or whatever. And you're watching and she looks genuinely like fearful and trying to run away. And maybe she was, but it's like, I got the impression that either at that point or the whole time, I got the impression that the whole time she was working for the aliens, and then I was like, well, did, is it that she didn't get away and she got turned? Because everything mm-hmm. seemed to happen really quick. Like, I don't know, was there like a jump forward in time or something when they went to, I don't know. Like, I keep trying to make swings around about, uh, I keep trying to make, um, trying to get my head, twist my head around to think like, okay, so she ran away from them and then she got changed and then she went to work. But all that happened in like the five minutes that we're seeing that we spend with Roddy. Um, but yeah, that bit always grates with me. There's two bits that are kind of grate with me. That's that's one of them. I think you're giving her too much credit, though, Sam. In my opinion, she was bad from the beginning. But then why show? Then why show that apart from just to annoyingly distract us from the audience? Like I guess, like they don't know she's not evil. They don't know she's not part of the resistance. I guess yeah, you could say that narrative yeah. red herring. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It just felt a little bit intrigued. Too much. Yeah, like you could have done that without trying to force it down our throats a little bit more. I don't know. But then to be fair, I do quite like those shots that she's in. Um, yeah, I think that's all I've got to say about it. I mean, yeah, as I said, it's kind of, it's really on the nose in terms of the message it's trying to get over. Um, I think it's shot nicely. Like, I don't think it's like anything crazy, but I quite like um, quite like the look of it. Um, and, you know, where it's got like the kind of yellow, like washed out burnt kind of stuff with like the shanty town all this stuff it just looks hot and looks horrible mm. and then you've kind of got the nice um kind of more like warmer and luxurious colors or whatever of the aliens themselves like that kind of blue and red it feels very regal and then the ballroom and all this stuff um, yeah i don't know it's just quite interesting and the color schemes and all this stuff um and i quite like the idea it's like the idea of being like woke um and is it like satan's like apple or whatever like the apple from the tree of knowledge or something and is it like oh you finally become you finally become woke but with it um it's not less you know you've now you've fucked over like yourselves and now you're all gonna like die or the world is gonna be i don't know do you know what yeah. I mean? it's like yeah, okay. it's like ignorance is bliss kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Once he can see, suddenly he's <laughs> got a big problem to deal with. Yeah, and it changes him as well. Um, yeah, he becomes a, a hardened, tough as boots kind of guy. Yeah, which is kind of, yeah, which I don't know. I, don't, I was kind of going, to, I went down that a little bit, but I didn't really find much there, that, that line of thought. Um, yeah, that's it. So, what should we do, Dan? Should we take a look into Nerd Corner? Let's have a look. Yeah. 
please. Welcome to Nerd Quarter, Dan. Hooray! We love it here. How do you like it? I love it. I love the nerdy um, stains on the wall. Yes, well, exactly. That's cum. Um, (laughs) Which is the natural juice. Even off of of the nerds, nerd. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the stay-at-home nerd. Um, I thought we'd talk a little bit about the soundtrack. Um, I haven't got any. I haven't got much information about any of the releases or anything. I know that there was like I think like a ten-track um, original release when it came out, um, and then there was a twentieth anniversary extended like um, issue. I don't think there's been anything since then. I'm sure there has been, and some kind of like Mondo probably done something, but. Um, yeah, so I listened to the extended edition. Now, this is, I believe, um, yes, yeah, John Carpenter and Alan Howarth. Um, and Alan Howarth, and I think I'm saying that right, worked with John on Halloween. He's worked with him on a lot of stuff. Um, he yeah. also did uh, the Star Trek movies as well. Oh, really? Well, on his own? Yeah, uh, yeah on his own, yeah. Um, very synth-heavy, as you can kind of expect. Um, quite ambient, I guess. Um and yeah, I listened to the entirety of um, of the soundtrack. And I have to say, I was very much bored. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah. Aww. laughs> so I guess like that's a shame. It is a shame, isn't it? But you've got that um, doom, 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 like the plodding kind of bluesy oh, yeah. track, right? And apparently that was like written to. They basically improvised most of it as they were watching the film. Apparently that do 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 do, which is under, I feel like half the songs on the fucking soundtrack, um, was in time with his walking, and that's where it kind of came from. And then it's got more yeah. of a spaghetti western kind of vibe, hasn't it? Like he's the gunslinger. Yeah, I th- yeah, it it is yes, but yeah, there's definitely kind of like a bluesy, um in the terms of its structure, like, you know, that's because keep in mind as well, it's to do with like the fact that it's like the poor people, the shanty town mm. and all this. Um, but yeah, it's also like, uh, yeah, like a stranger walking into town, but not, not so spaghetti Western as much as like that kind of thing, but with more of a blues thing yeah, on synth, if that makes any kind of sense. Um, and yeah, so I listened to the, um, I listened to the whole thing um, and it just was, it was pretty bad. It's pretty awful. I, I would like to say that I can pick out some key tracks on it, um, but I can't and I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame because um, obviously we did uh, an episode on Prince of Darkness and that pairing did that as well. And I really liked that soundtrack. Yeah. That's the more more typical, what you expect from Carpenter. Yeah, exactly. Wild synth stuff going on. Yeah, this is more... Um, it's just more ambient. It's a lot slower. Um, it's a lot like, because when the, it doesn't really like wrap, like it does ramp up towards the end of the film, obviously, but like most of it is this kind of like pondering, like walking, yeah. walking around or whatever, or just looking at stuff. And there's a lot of that. Um, but yeah, I went through, there's a lot of, um, uh, in the extended edition, there's some like kind of, kind of put in some like sound effects ones or whatever, but it's all it's all like it's basically a bunch of like bullshit. 
Like even actually like tracks. It's just like here's some here's some other stuff that was in the film. You know, uh, like, here you go if you want to listen to it. I guess like the one that I quite liked ugh, was Wake Up, um, which is just basically that do 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 do, but um, which is that which they've got is coming to LA is the, that main theme. Um, wake up! Well, it's just faster. Let's hear a bit of Wake Up. All right, I tell you what. Let's listen to Coming to LA. And then right afterwards, let's listen to Wake Up and you'll see exactly what I mean. So I would like to say um, that it was an enjoyable listening experience, but it really wasn't. Um, unless you're really into this film or you want everything to do with John Carpenter, then fair enough. Otherwise, there, he's done some much better stuff um, <laughs> on a lot of other films. Um, I'm just yeah. taking a look at the 2019 UK uh, Death Waltz reissue on a picture Death disc. Waltz, yeah, that makes sense because it's Carpenter. Yeah. Um, yeah, the picture disc, it just says buy more records. That's good. It's <laughs> clever, isn't it? Yeah, I might steal that for my um, Instagram profile picture. <laughs> it's a general word of advice. Yeah, my vinyl account. Yeah. Um, that reminds me actually, a couple of weeks ago, I went to Prince Charles Cinema. Oh, yeah. Um, and the popcorn comes in a white carton that just says consume on the side. Oh, that's black. Nice. So it's everywhere, people. Yeah, Messaging. Like, a lot of people might not even know where it comes from, but it's that. Yeah. 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 Okay, a lot of those, like, uh, uh, matte paintings as well, um, which I thought was really nice, really cool. Um, I love a which, matte painting. Yeah, which is a throwback in itself, isn't it? Like, they, that, that, it does have, like, that, that, like you said, 1950s kind of sci-fi look, mm. using those matte paintings. Yeah, brilliant. That, that might be my favourite part in the whole film. Yeah, I mean, it is for a lot of people. I mean, there's sure. so much, like, as a just, like, final kind of word from me on the film, I think there's just so many cool, like, um, little, like, vignettes, um, little, like, visual riffs, motifs, like like that, like the, the design of the aliens, mm. cool performance by Roddy Piper, really good fun, basically. Loads of fun concepts. Bit of a mishmash, but sit down take it as it comes and yeah it's like a lot of fun really yeah i mean this is what not i won't go too deep on this but um i was i was reading something the other day and it's just how a lot of what people forget is that a lot of the top directors of today and still came from this background like you know you got james cameron who did piranhas 2 and then went on to terminator and things like that but you've it was the fact that all these people like cut their teeth on these kind of 
what would be deemed schlocky kind of B-movie stuff. And we just haven't got that. Like, they do exist, but it's just a massive gulf in the mm. middle. Like, there is no real B-movie properly, how we know it anyway. Um, yeah. And so it means that you're, we're kind of going to be at a point where, and we're kind of there now, where it's like cinema's not very interesting, really, and we're still reliant on the old greats to kind of give us something a bit new or different because they have that power. And there's just a gulf. There's a vacuum where, you know, there are people, you know, who could be doing stuff like, you know, think of like, even when I think of like Christopher Nolan, who's probably my always go-to like auteur of today. Um, it's like following he did his first film. Um, uh, you know, that was a very long time ago. <laughs> um, and that was kind of coming out of the, I believe like the nineties, um, kind of indie British scene. but And that was the last, at least this side of the pond anyway. Well, as well on that side as well, when you thought like Tarantino and all this stuff. Mm. That was the last great hurrah. And he's still seen as like a young, like the kind of filmmaker. So I haven't got anyone else. There's no one else. Like, and then he went on to do Memento. That did really well. And then he had, you know, the hit after hit after hit. And still grew it, grew it up. And I'm just thinking like, who's like a new director or whatever like that's a real like auto i'm like i'm really excited i think like ariasta maybe like eggers who we, you know we did the witch the other day yeah and it's like they're still making that kind of stuff but it's like it's horror that's kind of holding it up a little bit because horror is cheap to make you can kind of do whatever it's standalone people obviously do turn into a franchise but you're basically you're doing a horror you're allowed to make a standalone thing um and you're allowed to try something different um but that's it like you know Otherwise, it's just a lot, bunch of shit, basically. And the studio's kind of sticking their dick into everything. And cinema's only playing, like, the, the big hits, like Five Marvel. Like, what was it? Disney. And bear in mind, I used to work for Disney. Own something like, what was it? Like, the 20 biggest um, box office hits or whatever in the last decade. Disney owns, like, 18 of them or something. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's mad. So it's like, well, it's not going to, it's not, you know, yeah. what are we going to do about it? So, um, constant, know, constant commercial refinement of the arts. Yeah. yeah. And like Spielberg, to be honest, Spielberg and Lucas said it a while ago, especially when it's like the superhero thing is kicking off, which is like, it's going to kill the film industry. And as well, all it takes is like one big film to flop. You know, if like the next Avengers film, like absolutely tanks, which it probably won't because it's such a funny film, you know what I mean? And you, the studio's fucked, whatever, <laughs> something like Disney. But um, yeah, it's very interesting. But so I basically kind of message with people like, it's worth finding out things like They Live and these weird little films and stuff. And, you know, especially if you're like young and a filmmaker, like go out there and just try and get it made like the best way you can. Um, because, you know, it's we want to see it, <laughs> especially me and Dan. Um yeah, send it to us. Yeah, literally send it to us. But we'll we'll talk about it because um yeah, it just feels like a real like gulf of like interesting movies. And that's the thing, like they live, what I'm getting at is the fact that they live, it's a weird film. It's a really strange, weird, quirky little film. All right, John Carpenter had some hits, probably not never as big as Halloween, but still. Um and this still reached number one for that week, if I'm right. Um that I don't think that'd happen now. Or if it did, it'd be you know amazing and for, for yeah. like, and for that to be like it's a cult film it's like well it reached number one in the box office yeah <laughs> you, know, you know it's uh it's, we think of it as a cult film because we think of it as like a small weird film um but it's just that people were like going to watch these things anyway so my rant is over um but yeah 
Dan, do you want to go hear the reviews? Yeah, because I want to know what the people, the people, the real people online are saying. I hate it. So, Dan, I've got a couple of uh, bad reviews of this film, if you can believe it. They exist. Are they by critics? No, these are, these are the real people. You wanted real people, I've given Good. you real people. Yeah. Your man right. on the street, that's what I want to know. What exactly. does he feel about they live? Well, man on the street one is called Turbo Clip. It's a great name. I don't even <laughs> understand it, but I love it. <laughs> it's like a transformer. Yeah, exactly. It transforms into a pair of scissors. <laughs> yeah, hair clip. Um, don't quite understand the amount of five-star reviews. Great premise, but the movie itself is like a mediocre episode of The Twilight Zone. The acting and script is terrible. The iconic bubblegum line literally comes out of nowhere and just made me go, where? Roddy, <laughs> Roddy Pipe Job had no on-screen chemistry. And the What's a pipe job? <laughs> Google it. And the kidnapping of that woman was just weird. Um, when he says has no on-screen chemistry, this is me talking, does he mean like with the, like with who? Like normally that's applied to like with someone else, but he's, yeah. like, he's got no on-screen chemistry with what? What with Frank? <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> what are you talking about? But okay, all right. So maybe you meant the woman, and um, fine. Yeah, okay. But that's kind of, that's on purpose. But okay, he, he continues. The only redeeming feature where the sets. Wrong. Were the sets and alien makeup very cool? Couldn't make it to the end after that ridiculous fight scene. I just fast forwarded it and thought, screw it, and ended up watching the Chase Celebrity Edition instead. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if people in America or whatever get the Chase, but it's basically a daytime quiz show yeah. <laughs> um, on uh, ITV, I think. I do um, love the Chase, so I can, I can sympathise with him there. <laughs> there you go. Um, the next. Oh, wouldn't it be oh, great yep. if someone looked at the chase and like Bradley Walsh was one of those little aliens? Yeah, I think. And instead of the, the money on the on the board, it was like uh, consume consume ITV. Yeah, shit yeah. TV. Do you remember there was that? Um, let's talk about the chase for a bit. You know, there was that really fat bloke who was on it, and they're all fat, really. But there was like the one, beast, it was Mark Levat. Big fat white guy, right? Who's yeah. relatively young. Mark Labatt. He because I saw that he like lost. It was like I've lost three stone, but he still looks exactly the same, just like a little bit less mass or whatever. Um, he's like I was reading for some reason it came up that he's like I've got like two wives or whatever, and like we have a completely open marriage or whatever, and all this stuff. And you know when you just think, why isn't it like why isn't it like really good looking people? <laughs> <laughs> or do we just not hear about it? Like, why is always that weird, ugly, fat people who uh, seemingly have this thing or, or that makes the papers? Um, but yeah, oh, what, a, what a bit of filth he is. Eh? You think you think no one's going to touch that? Well, there you go. Maybe he's got one in the States because he they do have it in the States, the chase, and he was picked. <gasps> of all the chasers, he was the chaser in the States. So maybe he's got... One on either side of the pond. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Um, do you want to hear what Flat Earth Christian has to say? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my God. This sounds promising. This is going to be good. Here we go. Interesting. 
This has been happening for a long time. It's not <laughs> aliens that are controlling humanity. It's Satan. He has deceived the world, as it says in the KJV Bible. And what is the KJV? But King James Fifth Bible, it must be. King James Bible. That's the yeah. Bible, isn't it? Yeah. Well, right. it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. That's the original, original Bible, as it were. Well, no. Was well, it not the original Bible, Bible, was written Bible written by Jesus? Yeah, but the, well, it wasn't written by Jesus. Well, the original. <laughs> it wasn't who wrote it then? Written. The disciples. Who? Hey? His disciples wrote it. No, it's right? the word of God. Word of God, mate. Right. Well, hold on. We're, we're talking about, you're talking about Old Testament as well, a little bit here, right? I don't really understand the Bible, but the King James Bible was God the first wrote Bible. It. Hold on. Was Jesus, the was the, <laughs> no. Jesus was the co- copy editor. That's <laughs> no, not sub editor. <laughs> you're infuriating a lot of Christian people out there. Um, King James Bible <coughs> was the first Bible to be translated into English, I would believe, and to be mass produced. Because I think before that, it wasn't, it was kept under like lock and key a bit more. And then finally, it was kind of released to the public. Suppressed. In English. Um, but since then, it's had lots of, and this is the problem, isn't it, with the Bible? It's, it's gone, it's gone through many iterations. People have, yes, people have gone true. back to the original and been like, the meaning for this word is wrong. Actually, mm. we've been misinterpreted. There was one really big one. I can't remember. Um, but. Yeah, there's an element where it's like people will read what they want into it. Like this is Latin yeah. for whatever for whatever. It's like, well, there's no direct interpretation of that word, which makes the actual word of God to how people read the Bible word for word actually quite subjective to whoever has translated it. Um, which I always find quite interesting. Anyway, so back yeah. to flat earth. I mean it's Christian. been wildly successful though, Sam. In all of its That's iterations. True. true, isn't it? It's like um, the fast and the furious. Yeah, of the book world. Exactly. And you'd think the Fast and Furious, uh, the novelization would be the Fast and Furious of the book world, but it's not. <laughs> the Bible. <laughs> um, so this is a first question. They have controlled banking and now control the world through monopolies across the board. I quite liked how he said monopolies across the board. It actually made me think of all yeah. going. I was like, has he done that on purpose? Because if not, I like it. Satan's biggest deceit, globe, earth. Uh, here what? we go. Well, globe Earth, because it's not a globe, Dan. The Earth oh, is flat, as it says in the Bible. Satan has deceived humanity to conceal God. We do live in Satan's virtual reality. And that's Satan's biggest deceit. I mean, if you're going to deceive people, mm. I think there's I think there's better pranks you can play. Making people think that something flat is round. Why would Satan care whether people think it's flat? <laughs> Precisely. What has it got to do with being good or evil? I trick that? people into like, I don't know, like killing themselves or something. Well, it's like <laughs> the sky is actually green. Your eyes have just been looking at it differently. So okay, I I trick rich old egotists into thinking they could blast themselves into outer space yeah well exactly i don't know it's all and then watch them blow up or just expire in the vacuum of space Mm, well exactly Um, bear in in mind dan we can only interpret the earth as we have been evolved to allow to do so mm. we don't know what's going on out there we don't know we're just doing enough that's made us survive to this point maybe our eyes are the wrong shape well, exactly. 
our eyesight has only had to evolve to a point where we only need to see so far. Yeah. <laughs> X, Y, Z, um, et cetera. Wow. Anyway, so we live in Satan's virtual reality. I saw something the other day, which was quite interesting. And it, it was talking about how um, people were riffing. So there's a statistic where um, someone has worked out, uh, and I don't know who, whatever, it's just a headline, um, uh, that there's a 50-50 chance that we live in a simulation that they've drawn it to a mathematical equation, mm. giving it a 50% chance that we might be living in a simulation. And then someone riffed on that and they said, you know you're living in a simulation when you have never seen your neighbor bring in their grocery shopping. Huh. And I was thinking, that- I haven't ever seen my any neighbor ever bring in their grocery shopping. This is like the Truman Show now. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Quite funny, though, isn't it? Imagine. Um, yeah. When I was living in Lille mm. in, uh, in northern France mm. for four months, mm. I never saw a child. That's what you told the police. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to get that in here. Now it's on the record. <laughs> just in case they're listening. Yeah. Nothing completely unrelated. I can um, refer back to it at a later, <laughs> later date when needed. Fuck you now. Right. Um, I think, don't you think that's strange. Don't you think that's, that's a sign that the whole little is some sort of like manifestation? I do think that is slightly strange that there's no families, but it does make me think, did you just go to like an old person's or an adult a, a club 18 to 30 or something <laughs> yeah. like that? I don't know. No families allowed. Sounds like my dream. The whole thing, it was like being in, it's like Cocoon, a whole a whole city. Yeah. No one knows what Cocoon is apart from you and me. Oh. It's one of the biggest films of the 80s. <laughs> Sorry, people. Tune in next week for our episode on Cocoon. Oh, I'd love to watch Cocoon again. Cocoon 2 as well. That was good. Yeah. Remember that one? When they came back. I think it was literally called that, wasn't it? The Return or something like that. Yeah. Gutenberg, wasn't it? Mark Gutenberg, whatever his name is. Steve. Steve, that's it. Steven. Good old Steve. Steve. Stevie G. Yeah. Um, yeah, watch Cooking. It's, uh, but it's Ron Howard, isn't it? I think. It's a Ron Howard oh. film. Ooh, I don't know, but I will... Nice. It's a, it's a nice, it's a nice film. Yeah. Nice. Um, cool. Well, that was They Live. Um, so now me and Dan are going to sleep. And you two. You two. Only two people listen to this. And you guys are going to live. Yes, and obey by joining us next week for another episode of Oddcast. To consume another episode. Um, <laughs> cool. Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. See ya. Thank you for listening to Oddcast Movies, Music and Gaming. If you want to get in touch with us or get a movie, album or game put on our list to discuss, then email us at oddcastoddballs at gmail.com or a newwinterpodcast at gmail.com. This is part of a New Winter Podcast Network, so head on over to anewwinter.net to check out our other shows. You can also follow us on Instagram at anewwinter, Twitter at anewwinter, and you can head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash anewwinter. Thanks for listening and see you again soon. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.